Welcome to the Sisters in Crime Writers Podcast. Everyone has a unique writing journey, so join us for conversations about those journeys from the writers themselves. Julie Henricus, the Executive Director of Sisters in Crime, and I am delighted to welcome Lindy Walker to the podcast today. Lindy is the Amazon Charts best-selling author of two crime fiction series featuring strong heroines. Her first Michelle Clark crime thriller, Front Page Fatality, was a finalist for the Agatha Award, and her Texas Ranger Faith McClellan novel, Leave No Stone, was named a Thriller Award finalist. Reviews have praised her work as well-crafted, compelling, and fast-paced, and an edge-of-your-seat ride with a spiderweb spider of twists and turns that will keep you reading until the end. Before she writing, started writing fiction, Lindy was an award-winning journalist who covered everything from ribbon cuttings to high-level police corruption. Her work has appeared in newspapers and magazines across the U.S. Lindy's favorite things are porches, beaches, books, and coffee. She lives in Richmond, Virginia, where she's working on her next novel while she's not juggling laundry and her children's sports schedules, which is quite the juggling act. Lindy, (laughs) thank you so much for being on the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm delighted. You and I have seen each other at Malice Domestic um, for many years, and uh, you have just exploded into this thriller world. And so I (laughs) want to um, talk about your journey, but let's start where I always start on here. Um, How did you, when did you first say to yourself, I want to write a novel? Oh, goodness. So I, I, mine started with, I didn't think I could write a novel. You know, I was a journalist for so many years. I mean, you short nonfiction, I'm your girl. I can do that all day, but I was loading my dishwasher one day. My daughter was in preschool. My son was almost a year old. He was taking a nap and I, all of a sudden there was Michelle and she was in my head and she was locked in the car trunk down in Chaco bottom. And she didn't know how she was going to get out. And, and she had these crazy shoes on, so she didn't know how she was going to run if she did get out. And I looked right at the silverware caddy and said, I don't know anything about writing a book. I can't do that. <laughs> but she wouldn't go away. And the baby was asleep. So I finished the dishes and got my laptop and figured I'd just give it a go. And it has turned into to quite something that I could not have ever imagined that day. Well, I've spoken to several journalists or former journalists um, on this podcast. And there is some unlearning um, that needs to happen. And and it's a different craft. I I think one thing journalists bring um, to novel writing is they can tell a story. (laughs) They understand beginning, middle, and end, and and arts and things like that, just in a condensed way. But how did you build the craft once you're, you know, looking at that silverware caddy? I love that story. And she showed up. So we're going to talk more about that. But um, how did there. you build the craft? So I went completely 180 degrees opposite of journalism. Like I started writing and I had the, I mean, the rough draft of front page, the original one is still somewhere in my attic because I kept a printed copy of all of like 
450 pages of it or something. It was ridiculous, rambling and long. And I had more purple prose and everything that every writing book tells you don't do. If you're trying to write a novel, I did it. I started with a prologue. I had a scene where Nichelle was looking in the mirror, describing herself. I used more (laughs) adjectives and more flowery language because I was like, there's no rules. I don't have to turn this into a newspaper editor and I can say however many adjectives I want to describe this. And I really was just having fun. You know, I hadn't written anything in five years, maybe, since I left the newsroom. So it was just great fun for me to sit and write. But then when it actually, like, there was actually, there was a whole story. I had a beginning and a middle and an end. And I thought, well, maybe I should try to get this published. And um, then I started reading books on fiction craft. Because going back through and reading it, I was like, this is not like the books I like to read. Like, how do I make this like the books I like to read? Um, so I read a couple, my favorite ones, uh, well, I think the one that was the most helpful to me when I was first starting out was by, I think the guy's name is Noah Lukeman. It's called the first five pages Mm -hmm. and he was an agent. And so he, that's like a really intensive little course on how to set up the beginning to hook your reader in quickly. Mm -hmm. So it was like a, like a fiction class on how to write a good lead in a news story. And that one was very helpful because it helped me cut out all the superfluous stuff that I had at the beginning of that original rough draft and really like get to the story faster. Um, And then just, I read a ton of, you know, when I got to the end of this, what I had was a mystery. So I read 30 mysteries that summer and looked at everything that worked and how the language flowed and how they did sentence structure and varying sentence length. Like I just kind of sat and picked the ones I really liked apart. And thought about, you know, my favorite books when I was growing up and I eventually ended up with a draft that I wrote a query letter about. And gosh, that all seems like so long ago now. (laughs) (laughs) But was it always going to be, I mean, Michelle showed up and she, she lends herself to a thriller. She was was always going to be crime fiction for you or, or if she had shown up and was desperately in love and heartbroken would you have written a romance (laughs) so I think I had more romance definitely in the original rough draft of that book because and it was a sort of a hybrid which I learned when I started reading up on publishing that you they don't really they kind of frown on that they don't like it when you do that because they want to know which shelf to put it on right so I had to pick one and the mystery was the thing that was the overriding part of it Mm -hmm. so pairing back the rest of it so that the romance is a subplot um you know, and learning how to lead a good mystery all the way through from the beginning to the end, not give too much away, misdirect the reader, all those sorts of things was just sort of it came for me from studying books that I really loved and picking apart how other people had done this over the years. Agatha Christie. Um, it's a really little known book of hers comparatively to the ones that everyone always talks about, but she wrote one. It's a Miss Marple mystery called sleeping murder. Mm-hmm. It's always been my favorite Agatha Christie book. And I bet I read it four times that fall after I finished the rough draft of front page, trying to see how she did what she did and how she did the reveal. And Oh, let me go back and just look at this because now I'm working on revising this part. So, um, but yeah, crime fiction was what I was drawn to, I guess, because it's what I like to read. And because for a lot of the time that I worked as a journalist, it was what I did. 
So Mm -hmm. that was a natural avenue for her because of her job covering the police department and the court system that she could get into, okay, none of the official stories here make sense. What's really going on? What's really going on? (laughs) Um, Is, what's your process like for Nichelle? So it's obviously, it's probably evolved because you sat down. So tell me, that first book, did you just sort of, write and then fix or you know did she did. keep showing up and saying and next she's going to be buying new shoes and next she's going to yes. be killing somebody you know and how did that work it was very I mean I was terrified that summer because I didn't know where the story was coming from so I wasn't sure when it was going to just suddenly go away like it was sort of like the northern lights right I I just kept going every time I had free time I went to my computer hoping that it was still there. And, um, I wrote 135,000 words in five weeks when I did the rough yeah. book with two small children. Wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> I didn't sleep. Wow. Very much. Let's just say that again, 135,000 <laughs> words in five weeks with a baby and a toddler. Yes. And, um, <laughs> and not very much else really. I mean, there were days when I you know, forgot to eat. I, I just, I was so focused on trying to get it done. And, and everybody paused and appreciate that. I wrote a mystery rough draft that was 135,000 words. <laughs> and I think the published book as it stands today is about 76,000. <laughs> so it got cut by almost half from the rough draft, but. And was that because you had, um, different did you have two stories like how did how did you cut so there were some things I mean that rough draft really like I should do a class someday where I show people like here here is what I had this is where I started this is where it ended up um and and this is how you go from this to an Agatha nominee um because there were just there, like I said, there was so much extra language, so much colorful, interesting description, purple prose, like Charles Dickens describing the teacup for four paragraphs stuff in there (laughs) that I didn't get to do as a journalist. And then there were also some storylines that were just ridiculous. I had never written fiction before. And so I was just like following all these little rabbit trails and coming up with different ways that she could dig further into some things that she didn't need to be digging into at all. And so a lot of that, when I went back to revise it before I ever even considered sending it to an agent, I, I was looking at that going, I never would have done that when I was working as a reporter. What is she doing? No, that just we back all this out and we're going to go a different way. So I love when you talk about the purple crows and, and, you know, the freedom to write and, um, Charles Dickens, who did get paid by the word. So, you know, there's that, but, and you're learning, you wrote this draft, you spent time learning and editing and fixing. How has your process evolved over time? Uh, so from that, my the novel that I just turned into my editor last week will be my 15th published novel when it comes out in July. And I wrote that book. I had 13 weeks to go from a blank screen to something I could turn into my editor And I had Christmas in the middle of that. (laughs) And somehow I managed to get it done with very minimal stress without feeling like I was going to pull my hair out. Because 
I'm much more confident now in the fact that the story's not just going to evaporate out of my head. I, I know I know how to do this. I know it's not going anywhere. And so, you know, this time it was work. Like I said to my friend, Donna Andrews uh, is very big on, on talking about her um, quota that she has to hit every day when she's doing, cause Donna does two books a year in her series. And so I kind of borrowed Donna's method of having a quota every day, which I had tried before. The difference was that this time I was like, no, I really do have to stick to this. If I don't want to be stressed out and if I don't want to feel like I'm not going to get finished, I don't have time to have wiggle room in here. So this, I have to write this many words today before I can get up. And some days, I mean, there was one day that um, my daughter was writing a paper for her economics class and she texted me in the morning and said, do you want to race? And I went, hey, that sounds like fun. And we, I had my, you know, 1,700 words for the day in like 29 minutes. And she was like, I'm still working. I can't believe you're already done. I said, well, you know, in fairness, this was a really fun scene for me to write. So tomorrow is not going to be so easy. Um, right. Some days it took six hours. That day it took 29 minutes. But I had to have that many words before I got up every day so that I knew I was going to get finished on time. Do you have an outline? Are you an outliner? Or do you I'm, write... Um, you pants or hybrid? I pants when I'm the books that I write on my own are complete, almost completely pants. Sometimes I have an idea at the beginning where the story is eventually going. When I started this faith book that I just finished, I knew what I wanted to have happen in the final scene, and I knew where it started at the very beginning, and I had no idea how she was going to get from A to B. And so I just kind of that, but that's why I open my computer every day. I want to go downstairs and write because I like the characters and I want to see what's going to happen to them next. I mean, this one was a really fun ride. I had a, I, I had been away from these characters for a while and I think I needed a break because these stories are much darker. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I wrote the first book, I was kind of in between projects and series and just had this crazy idea and, and intended for it to be a standalone. But the more Faith was in those scenes, the more she took them over. And then when I sent it to my agent, he said, no, this cop is the thing. She can carry a series and this is what you're good at. Do this. Um, so we revised it. and But the stories are so dark that once my... They put Nichelle on hold and my entire publishing schedule became writing those back to back to back, putting out two of them a year. I, there came a point last year when I called my agent and I said, I can't just keep figuring out different creative ways for serial killers to cut people up and have a good reason for it all the time. Like this is, this is not my personality. I can't do this. I need something else. So I took a break to focus on another project. And by the time I came back to it this time, I really had a lot of fun with this book. Can we talk about that just for a second? Because uh, I'm, I'm talking to folks about this in, in different contexts, but when you're writing things that that are traumatic, it does take it out of you as a writer. Yes. And when you're writing it, you've you got to write it all. You may edit. Like, it, it could end up, like, you know, this thing that tormented you for days to write is a paragraph or two sentences. Right. But you need to write it all. How do you take care of yourself as you're as you're as you're dealing with the trauma of writing these scenes? So for me, it's, um, you know, uh, long walks um, in the afternoons when the weather is nice, when I'm working are 
helpful to kind of clear my head and shake some of that off. I like to cook. So, you know, leaving my computer and going to the kitchen and and like making something that's fun that I know my family is going to enjoy is good. Um, but it was also, I honestly, and I think something that a lot of writers don't talk about is it's wonderful to have contracts and to have readers and to have people who want to read your books. And I'm so thankful every day that I get to do what I do for a living. But there did come a point last year where I really was sort of almost at a breaking point. And I was talking to my editor uh, on the phone and he said, you know, forgive me because I know you're not supposed to say this to women, but you sound so tired. Are you okay? And I started crying and I hate women who, well, I don't hate anybody, but um, you know, it's always bothered me when I, I see women just burst into tears at random on TV shows and in movies and stuff. I'm like, stop crying and get up and go do the thing you're supposed to go do. And with this, just, I, I started sobbing and I was like, I, I, don't know that I can do this right now. Like I just turned this book in. I have to get up tomorrow morning and open another one because I have, you know, I don't know, something crazy, like maybe 10 weeks before the next due date of my contract. And he said this, you need to call your agent and talk to him. And I had reached a point where my husband and I had had a conversation and he said, you know, you can just quit if this is not what you wanted it to be. And so that's kind of where I thought I was going when I called my agent. Cause when you're a writer and you have a contract, if you're thinking you can't live up to that, but it was kind of amazing to me that it didn't go that way at all. You know, I, it didn't go at all. Like I thought it was going to my agent said, Whoa, 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 no, nobody wants you to do that. And nobody wants you to feel this way. Like, let's talk about this. We're going to handle this. And a couple hours later, I got a call from my publisher and he said, he didn't, he wasn't upset. He just said, how do I help? What can I do to help you feel better? Like, I don't want your work-life balance to be like this. I don't want you to feel this way. I had no idea that us changing the schedule and, and putting this darker series to the forefront was causing all of this. What do you need? And I said, I need a break, but I have this book due because the contract says, and he said, stop talking to me about the contract. Contracts can be amended. Like, it's fine. I don't care about that. Tell me what you need us to do. And everybody was great. I took six weeks to just not do anything writing related and just be a mom and cart my kids around to sports and do things around my house. And then I went back with a new, an idea for a new project that I pitched that everybody really liked. And I had a lot of fun working on that. And by, you know, last fall, when I got back to start writing this faith book, it was all brand new and I had missed the characters and really was excited to be back in their world. And it just, you know, and I guess it it all sort of came through and fell together well, because I think my editor said this was his favorite of uh, the books in this series that he's worked on. And so it's... um, it all worked out really nicely. So I guess to other writers, I would say, if you feel yourself getting burned out, don't be afraid to ask the people that you're working with for help because right. you might really be surprised at the answer that you get. Right. And ask for what you need. Yes. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that because it is, I, I don't think we talk about that. Um, you know, writing is uh, a, a mentally, physically, um, emotionally, uh, a draining process. We're lucky that we 
do it and that the muse you're you're lucky that michelle showed up and you're getting yes. the dishwasher <laughs> but at the same time it is hard work and i and i i i think it's important to recognize that and honor that and um and especially if you're writing darker books you may need to take care of yourself yes very definitely so yeah um so you i know uh that you are co-writing another book yes yes uh with uh bruce coffin and uh because i know you both um and i see posts and how excited he is about this um can you talk about that process a little bit of co-writing a book uh because i think that's fascinating and i can't imagine how you do it, and there, there are many people who do it, but but I'd love to hear how that how that works. Sure, and I think Bruce and I have just, he is such a great guy, and we have had so much fun working on this. He's extremely talented, and I think our skill sets complement each other well because he knows, like, you know, I do okay with the hand-to-hand combat scenes in my faith series, but I just do okay with them because I haven't been in a fight since I was in, like, the third grade. And um, <laughs> where... Bruce, these hand-to-hand scenes in this new series are just phenomenal because he knows all of the, you know, all of the correct terminology and all of the stuff and what actually happens. Um, you know, so it's really been, we've just had such fun working on this together, but I think, and I think everyone's process is probably a little different. Um, but for us, I'm one of those people that has so many ideas for different, like I have so many things in my ideas file in my computer that I could live to be 347 and I wouldn't get all those books written. And, um, and so try in trying to find a way to get more of them out to readers. Uh, my agent, and my publisher came up with this, you know, we could bring in co-writers and you could work with other people so that we can produce more manuscripts faster. And, um, it, when we heard from, uh, so I had come back from, from Malice actually last year and pitched this idea. I'd had knocking around my head for months and I didn't really think anybody was going to be interested in it. Um, and then when I was at Malice, it was actually the readers. I talked to so many readers at Malice last year who ha- said the same thing over and over. Like there's so much to be worried about and so much that's bleak and scary in the news. I, I'm, I'm tired of reading about bleak, scary, dark things in books, I want to read about, you know, people who can, like the Carringtons from 80s TV that can just get in their private plane and just go. And yeah. I thought, well, maybe I really do have something here. Okay, so let me see what everybody says about this. And my agent and the publisher both really loved the idea, but they wanted to do a new series from the ground up and bring in a co-writer um, to work on those books with. And Bruce's agent had reached out to the publisher looking for a co-writing arrangement. And when he, because I, I remember Andrew texted me and said, you know, I've got, I've got an email from this agent and she's got this guy. And I said, who is it? And he gave me the name and I was like, no kidding. He's a friend of mine and he's a really good writer. I've read his other books. Okay. And, um, so, it, you know, I mean, we had phone calls and all kinds of stuff that went back and forth for half the summer, but this has been just, I'm so glad that it all ended up the way it did. Cause it's been a, a great fun experience. And I think the book is, is so much stronger for the things that we both were able to bring to it from both sides that, I mean, I finished reading the final draft last week and 
I texted him at one point and said I was going to stop at page 300 today and I couldn't stop reading if my house was on fire. Like, if the editors and the general public love this book as much as I do, we are in good shape. <laughs> and so, so it's it's been great fun. But we, so our process is that I start out with a, I wrote a very detailed outline, like chapter by chapter. Here's what happens in this chapter. Here's what happens in that one. Here, we're going to introduce this character. Um, it has to pass monster with the editor and then it goes to Bruce and he flushes it out and turns it into a full manuscript scenes. And then I get it back and I go through and tinker with things and, Oh, you know, I have something that'd be really funny right here. Let me add this. I'm going to change that, move this thing over here. And so we just shoot it back and forth. Um, and right now it's off at developmental edits with the editor and I'm really, really crossing my fingers that he's going to like it as much as I did. Cause I just, by the time I got, a little less than halfway through by reading the final draft and I was just proofreading. Um, it was just so the pace was so fast that, that's I mean, I knew what was going to happen and I still couldn't put it down. So I feel like that's great. probably a good sign. <laughs> that's a great sign, but it is, um, you know, he is a very talented writer. You didn't, you need to be able to work with somebody. Um, yes. Very closely. I mean, because it's yes. like you're sharing a baby. I mean, it's like, yes. <laughs> I mean, it's very important. This? It's really important to have someone that you get along with. So it was nice that it was funny because he and I actually even said like before we really dove into this last summer, he was like, I, I, you know, I said the same thing you did. I was like, oh, Lindy, yeah, okay. okay. And um, he said, so we'll either be better friends when we get to the other side of this, or we won't like each other anymore. <laughs> right. I said, yeah, probably, but I'm very glad that it, that it has been the former, you know, we've gotten to be better friends. Um, but I think you have to have someone that your personality fits well with that you, you know, you feel like you can talk to, like I can just, I mean, yesterday morning, right before I sent it to the editor, I saw something and had a different idea and was able to just grab my phone and text him and say, Hey, do you have a minute? Cause I'm getting ready to turn this in, but I want to run this by you before I just change it. So and you said that you wrote a, a detailed outline for that one. So the Panther wrote an outline because you were collaborating. Uh, do, you, do you foresee <laughs> that being how this process is going to work? Is maybe even you outline together, but you're going to need to have an outline to work with? Yes. And he said that actually, because Bruce wrote, I mean, he turned around the first draft of this book in like something like 12 weeks. It was faster. He was ahead of me. Uh, by a couple of weeks um, when I finished the faith book. And he said it was because, you know, he said having that outline was great because he was like, when I got the final outline back, what he told me was he didn't read the whole thing. He said, I didn't go all the way to the end because then I want to know what's going to happen the next day. So I'd go back to my computer and open it to see what the next scene was. And it was like having a nice little writing prompt every morning. Like, oh, this is what I'm going to do today. Okay, let me take that and go with it. So... I think it worked out really well for both of us because he is very, very dedicated to craft and I mean, makes it a point to write something every day. He doesn't, he doesn't take days off. And so for him, he was able to plow through that really fast, having the outline there to go from. And we did brainstorm and go back and forth a little bit on the first outline. I suspect we probably will maybe a little more on the second one. And I'm going to try to not be quite so wordy, uh, (laughs) as I was this time with the second one, but 
it was an interesting experience for me learning how to try to see the whole story in little snippets like that, as opposed to having Mm -hmm. to, I mean, I think early on when I was working on the outline, there were places in there where I wrote out entire scenes because that's how I write. I needed to write that scene so I could see what was going to happen next. Um, but by the time I got to the end of it, I had gotten a pretty good grasp of, you know, okay, I can give you two paragraphs here and move on to the next thing. So yeah. it's getting there. And just to, to let folks know, and I'll put it in the show notes, is we're talking about Bruce Robert Coffin, um, who has written another series, his own series. And, um, as, as Lindy said, is a, is a great writer, a former uh, police officer, so has a lot of um, experience to bring as well. Um, he does. And, and I'll plug his other series is the Detective John Byron series. And if you read police procedurals and you haven't read them, they are fabulous and you should check them out. Thank you. Check them out. Um, so 13 weeks to write a draft when you're pantsing is a lot. Um, and that's from, that's writing the first draft and then polishing. Do you write a little bit and then go back to polish or do you write the first draft and then go back and edit? What's that like for you? Cause that's a quick turnaround. It was, it was fast this time. So for the, with this one, I took a little bit of a break cause I took a week off at Christmas with my family. So I did kind of in the middle go back and read like the last five chapters I had written and I just tidied them up as I was going through and then went through to the end and then went back to um, clean it up and do edits and change and move things around and figure out what I needed to add. Like I keep a notebook next to my computer. And so as I was reading the rough draft, looking at between the notebook and the margin notes, it was, I need to add this. I need to change this. She needs to talk to a guy about that. Oh, I forgot about this. Um, but I had, I want to say I wrote the rough draft in 10 weeks and I had three weeks to, or almost three weeks. It was, it was like two and two weeks and four days or something to do edits and revisions. And it was, you know, it was a late night. Um, that last day staying down there, getting it ready to, to go out finally. And I, I still hit send going. I'm so close to this book that I have no idea. Like it could yeah. be really great or it could not make a lick of sense at all. And I don't know, but I'm going to send it and see what he says. Cause he'll tell me if there's stuff I need to work on. So it was very relieving to get the edit letter and have him say, this is fantastic. Here are just a few things that I think you need to straighten yeah. out. So. Yeah. And then, you know, just to let folks know about the process a little bit, because you know, when you hit that send, it isn't the end. <laughs> um, yeah. It's sort of like when you create an agent, that's not the end of working on the book. That's just you, you found somebody to, to work with. But, um, you know, right. you will get another developmental edits and then copy edits. You could still yes. change lots of stuff. Um, proof pages, not yes. so much. But, you know, <laughs> we do need to make sure everyone's got the right name and all that, that kind of stuff. Right. So there are a couple of more times. I, I didn't understand that process um, as well um, as I do now when I first started. Yes, yeah. definitely. You have, you have more steps coming in now. 
I mean, I've been doing this for so long that I know how to cheat it a little bit. Like I have a, a list in my little notebook of things that I didn't get to before I turned it in the first time, like distances and the names of towns and the names of roads that I'm like, I, I've wrote a, you know, double check before it goes to copy edits. Here are these things that I need to make sure I check before I turn it back in. Yeah. Yeah. And there are a few other eyes on it, which is always helpful as well. Yes. Um, how many paid uh, words you write? How would you do? Uh, you do write thrillers. Is that the genre you would say that you write? Yes. This, this, uh, my Faith McClellan series very definitely falls in the thriller category. Um, Michelle? Michelle is, I think they're thrillers, but they have more humor in them than my faith books do. The Michelle books are, I mean, they have, they, they're serious things and they have some things that are dark, but they don't go quite as dark as faith. And there's more funny in Michelle's world. It's a little lighter. Um, so this, they usually come in somewhere right around 90,000. The, I think the fifth faith book was uh, maybe a little high at 97 or something by the time I turned it in. Um, but they run between 85 and 95,000 usually is, is a pretty good range for where they're going to wind up. And that's pretty, it's pretty typical for thrillers. Again, word counts yeah. vary depending on the genre, but, um, you know, that's a lot of words. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially my children will look over my shoulder and wow. (laughs) (laughs) As you're struggling to write the five page history paper. (laughs) And I'll look at them and be like, that's like not even 2,500 words. You're fine. Go do your thing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, what, so how long have you been, your 15th novel, um, is coming out next summer. What, uh, how long have you been published? Uh, my first, years? the first Michelle book came out in 2013. So yeah, it was just, it was 10 years, the end just of January. 10 years. So that's a remarkable journey, uh, you know, and a remarkable amount of books and three series now. Um, what, what do you wish you could have told your younger self as you were just starting on this journey? Oh, goodness. Um, I mean, I think I wish I could have gone back and given her some business advice, just a little, uh, you know, that not, not necessarily that I did anything wrong, but just to keep in mind that publishing is a business, like getting a book deal is not like you won an award. It's, it's a business and you're supposed to make money at it. And you need to make sure that you're, um, you're, you're actually reading every line of that and not just scanning to the last page and signing it. And I would say that, you know, with, with anyone, any publisher, any, anything. Like, I think when you're, at least for me, when I was first starting out, um, you know, you're looking for an agent, you're looking for a book contract and, and that's like the brass ring. And it, I mean, I, I understand. And certainly since I had that mindset, but I think from this side of it, I would say you're entering into a business relationship. You're not winning a prize. So you need to make sure that you understand what you're doing there. And it is, um, it is a business that you can only control so much. Although it sounds like you have an incredibly supportive agent and publisher at this point. Um, but that's because you've been working with them for so long and you have a track record and, and, you know, you, you produce and they, they want you to keep working, but they also don't want to burn you out. 
Um, right. But you can't control this business. No, I, I mean, I have been known to tell people when I go to talk to writers groups that, you know, the publishing is very much the special purple unicorn of the business world. I mean, I've watched my husband move through corporate America for 20 years and I know more about behind the scenes, project management and contract management and contractors, subcontracting stuff than probably anybody who's ever walked around with a journalism degree. Um, publishing is not like the business world. You can't come to this from the business world and think, well, I know business, so I know how to do this because it's, it is very much its own animal. (laughs) (laughs) Things don't, because my husband will like, I'll tell him things that are going on in the publishing industry. And he just looks at me with this furrowed eyebrow and goes, what, who does things that way? Well, the publishing industry does things that way. That's you. And, and, do you still, as a writer, is that where the joy comes from? I mean, it's thrilling to hold your books, but do you still get joy from creating these stories and creating these characters? Yes. I think this this faith book was a really good look. Like, I, I felt like I was at a place, less, like, I really needed this to be, to have had as much fun as I had writing this book, being back with these characters, setting all of this stuff up. And then have a good end result too. When I got my edit letter was just like, oh my gosh, this is, you know, so much fun. And even on my worst day, and there are bad days at every job, no matter what it is that you do and however much you love it, nothing is perfect. Um, I still wouldn't trade this for anything else. There's not anything else that I would rather be doing for a living than writing mysteries. Um, and I, I try very hard to keep that front and center in my mind when I have rougher days, but it just was, I had so much fun writing this faith book. I had so much fun writing this adventure book with Bruce. Um, it really brought a lot of the joy back to it, you know, creating these characters. And then when you go, you have those moments when you go back and read something and you're like, Oh, did I write that? That's pretty good. Okay. Um, yeah yeah you need to you need to celebrate those those moments sometimes yeah so you talked about going to malice and you you've been doing that for years malice domestic for folks who don't know um takes place in bethesda every year it's for the traditional mystery but there's all (laughs) kinds of um all kinds of writers but it's a readers conference um What has community meant to you? And and does that surprise you? You know, the very first Malice that I went to, I had no idea what to expect. My first book had been out for like three or four months at that point. Um, And I had never been to any kind of writing or publishing related anything. I didn't even know there were conferences like that. Um, And I, I was taken almost immediately by how nice everybody was. Like from the minute I got there, it didn't matter from, you know, people that I had followed online and talked with by email, uh, Drew Ann Love at Drew's Book Musings was a very early, you know, and I mean, in the years since Drew and I have become very good friends and we've been, you know, my family and I go to New York City, we go meet Drew for lunch and I just adore her. She's wonderful. Um, But she had been there a lot. And I had never been there before at all. And she recognized me because I had a name tag on and 
you know, just immediately swooped in and was like, oh, yes, and I loved that book and come and sit here and talk to me and just, you know, everybody was so nice. But it was like from Drew to I met Harlan Coben in the bar and he's the nicest guy you'd ever want to talk to in your whole life. Like I was completely starstruck. I read all of the Baltar novels in college and just thought he hung the moon. And when I said, I'm a little starstruck, I'll be okay in a minute. He said, why is George Clooney here? Like, you can't be talking about me. (laughs) um, He was like, everybody was just so nice. And I think that sense of community really does play in and help writers over the course of a long career. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. everybody has days when they feel like they're spinning their wheels and nothing is ever going to go anywhere and their agent's never going to sell another book. And this is just pointless. I certainly have. And I'm very thankful that I have had writer friends along the way that when I went to them and said, why am I even still doing this? They said, you know, you need to remember why it's fun. Yeah. And, and writer friends understand. I mean, your family yes. loves you and they want to support you, but they don't necessarily understand why you're having a freak out right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> writer friends will, you know, tough love, but or sometimes support. I mean, it, it depends what you need, but they're there for you. Yes. So the community is is very strong here. And I think that seems from what I hear from from friends that I have that write in other genres, that's a little bit unique to our crime fiction community. You know, I mean, everybody is, by and large, everybody is very supportive. Everybody's very kind. We celebrate each other's success. So I feel very fortunate to be part of that community. And Malice at this point is like going to homecoming weekend. Like, (laughs) especially last year, the first one back after COVID, people kept asking me like, do you have bookmarks? I was like, I didn't even have anything made. I came to see my friends. I'm not working. <laughs> like, <laughs> so. it is. Um, it is so much. Last year for all conferences, but it meant so much to see people in three D because it's just and readers. I mean, that's the thing. It's a fan conference. Yes, Left Coast Crime is a fan conference. Bachelor's a fan conference. So there are more readers than writers. Although you know, right. there can be a balance because writers are also readers. Um, but that it's just people who are there because they love books and that's, yes. there's something glorious about that. Yeah. Yes. I've often wondered if it's because crime writers work it all out on the page that we um, are a pretty nice group of people. Not everyone, but <laughs> it's a not everyone, but most people. Yeah. And that's actually a really interesting point. I never thought about that, but maybe it is because there are, yeah. I mean, certainly elements in everyone's books that you, you know, I mean, I've read stories and books by friends of mine that I'm like, wow, that's really dark. And you're a super nice person. But then I think people probably (laughs) think that about me. Like, I mean, my own daughter really loves my Faith McClellan series. And she's so funny because I actually had her read um, a scene in the new one before I turned it in. And she walked out of the study with her eyes really wide. And she was like, you know, sometimes I wonder how I go to sleep in this house with you in it. Like, where do you come up with this stuff? (laughs) (laughs) but you are a prime example of that because if when folks meet your conferences you are a lovely person but you i mean it's it is it is a remarkable thing it is a remarkable thing um well i am grateful that michelle showed up at the dishwasher at that time Uh, me too 
behavior. How long has that been? How old is the baby now? So Gabriel, uh, my son will be 15 uh, this spring. So, so not, I mean, honestly, that's a lot in 14 years. I mean, yeah. that's a remarkable thing, right? Yeah, yeah. he's uh, he's taller than I am now, which he finds great joy in. And I am still a little surly about having to look up at him. Um, so. <laughs> that happens so fast, too. It's like all of a sudden, it's like, where did you go? <laughs> yes, I know. My little one even now is she's uh, she went to the when I took her to the pediatrician last month. She's only 12. And she, they measured her and she looked at me and went, two more inches, mom. I have two more inches and I'm going to be as tall as you. <laughs> so. <laughs> well, I'm excited about all the new books. I'm excited about this collaboration that's going to be out in uh, um, April 2024 with Bruce Coffin. Yes. Yes. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing you at Malice. Wonderful. Me too. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Lindy. Thank you for having me. This has been great fun. Thank you for being with us today. Sisters in Crime is about community. We were founded to advocate for women crime writers, and we continue that mission by fighting for equity in the crime writing community. Sisters in Crime is an international, inclusive organization for all who write and love crime fiction, mystery, thrillers, and suspense. Join us at sistersincrime.org and make sure you subscribe to this podcast.